Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word to us. And um, we've come to the part of the service now where we attend to your word, knowing that it's from you. Um, and you, in your uh, grace, have uh, chose to communicate your word, often through the spoken word, through the preached message. We ask, Lord, that uh, your Holy Spirit would apply the message that each one of us needs to hear today to each one of our hearts. Um, your word is bread. Your word is food, uh, according to the scriptures. Your word is a hammer at times. Uh, Father, we ask that you would nourish us and that you would uh, form us and that you would break away the stuff that needs to be broken away, that we might forsake it, and that you would increase in us the things that need to be increased. Help us to do away with vice, to kill vice. Help us to build up and nourish virtue. And may we, by your spirit, be conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Hebrews 7:25. It's on page 1103 in your pew Bible. Do your, ears, do your ears ever tingle like, someone, like someone's talking about you? Like you just know that, that someone's talking about you? Or does a friend of yours tell you that, you know, that he and some other people were talking about you and you kind of want to know, well, well, what were you guys talking about? You know, kind of want to know what people, what people are saying about you. Well, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, I'm telling you right now that I think you are talked about a lot in heaven. I think you are talked a lot about a lot of, about a lot in heaven. I think you'll and I think you'll see see why as we work through uh, today's subject. We're in the middle of a sermon series right now uh, on the heart of Jesus, and Pastor Ryan has already shown us how Jesus cares, how Jesus understands, and how Jesus persists. And today we'll see that he intercedes. He intercedes. So. I had you turn to verse 25. Just look up to verse 23 there. Let's read verses 23 through 25, Hebrews 7. He's talking about, by the way, context. He's talking about Jesus being our great high priest, and he's comparing them to the priests of the Old Testament. Verse 23. How many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office? But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he, that is Jesus, is always able to save those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Now, I want to start with just a picky little detail here in verse, uh, in verse 25. Note the wording there at the beginning of the verse, especially in the Holman, if you have the Holman Christian standard. It says, therefore, he is always able to save and there's a, there's a footnote, there's a footnote then in the Holman Christian after the word save, and the footnote, footnote gives an alternate translation. He is able to save completely. Uh, the Greek word in the original manuscript of this verse can be translated either way, as he is always able to save or he is able to save completely. And it's hard to know. It's hard to know which meaning the author of Hebrews had in mind because both, in fact, are true of Jesus. 
He is always able to save, and he is able to save completely, or to the uttermost, if you're familiar with those kinds of translations that use the phrase to the uttermost. There are some Bible teachers who think that the author of Hebrews chose this word specifically because it has that dual meaning, and that Hebrews 7.25 means to convey both aspects of that word. So the translation might be something along the lines of Jesus is always able to save completely or always able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. Now this verse is pretty straightforward. If you come to God through Jesus, he will save you completely and thoroughly for all time because he is constantly interceding for you. And that's what we want to talk about today is the idea, what does it mean that Jesus is interceding for us? That's what I want to unpack today, using the scriptures as our guide. And to do this, we'll be looking at more than one passage. We'll be looking at Hebrews 7.25, but also jumping around to some other passages. So what is this intercession, this interceding that Jesus does for us? And I want to share seven things with you. Number one, it is a current ministry of the Lord Jesus. It is a current ministry of the Lord Jesus. In other words, this is something that Jesus is doing now. His atonement, his sacrifice, is something he did in the past. The cross is in the past. The effects of the cross are with us today. But the cross is in the past. That's something he did in the past. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He was referring to his ministry as a high priest for the sacrifice that he offered. But intercession, that's something that he's doing now. That is something that the Lord Jesus is doing now in heaven. Right now he sits at the right hand of the throne of God and right now he is interceding for those who come to God through him. Romans 8:34. Notice the verb tenses. I've underlined the verbs here. At least I, I hope they're the verbs. Anyway, I've underlined the verb tenses here in 8:34. Who is to condemn? Oh, I missed that verb, but it doesn't matter. Christ Jesus is the one who died past tense. More than that who was raised past tense. That's what Christ did in the past. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Interceding for us is one of the things that Jesus is doing now in the present. Number two, intercession of Christ is part of Jesus' priestly ministry. It's part of his priestly ministry. Now, the whole chapter of Hebrews 7 is all about Jesus' ministry, specifically as a priest. In the Old Testament, the ministry of a priest involved offering sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people, but it also involved intercession on behalf of the people, praying for the people, and representing them before God. In the same way, Jesus, as our great priest, offered a sacrifice, one sacrifice. Hebrews is very clear. He only needed to offer one sacrifice. That sacrifice was himself. He was the priest offering, and he was also the sacrifice. And that sacrifice covers the atonement for the sins of the world. But the other aspect of that of the high priestly ministry is intercession. And Christ is also carrying on that aspect of his priestly ministry, the intercession. So it's part of Jesus's priestly ministry. Number three, what is this intercession? It is Jesus representing us before God, the father. It is Jesus representing us before God, the father. Now, I want to tell you something about what the high priest wore when he was on duty, so to speak. The garment of the high priest. One thing about it, he wore an ephod. An ephod was like, kind of, looked kind of like an apron. 
that uh, they, they wore a tunic, and over the tunic they wore a robe. Both of those reached to their feet. And then over the robe they wore a, like this apron thing. It was an ephod, and it had linen uh, shoulder straps on it. And on, the, on each shoulder strap there was an onyx stone. There was a stone here, and there was a stone here. And on one stone was engraved the names of six tribes of Israel. And on the other stone was engraved the other six tribes of Israel. And then also, over their, uh, on their chest, they wore a breast piece called, uh, well, that's what it was called, a breast piece. But on it, it, it had 12 stones, 12 precious stones, and they were all different from one another, you know, ruby, emerald, sapphire, whatever, 12 different precious stones. And on each of those stones was engraved the name of one of the tribes of Israel. So what was the purpose, for instance, of these of these onyx stones? Exodus 28 tells us fasten both stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the Israelites. Aaron will carry their names on his shoulders before the Lord as a reminder. So when Aaron goes into the to the to the Holy of Holies, when he goes into the tent of meeting before the Lord, he's it's not just Aaron. He's carrying the whole nation of Israel on his shoulders. And then with regards to the breast piece, uh, Exodus 28, 29, whenever he enters the sanctuary, Aaron is to carry the names of Israel's sons over his heart, over his heart on the breast piece for decisions as a continual reminder before the Lord. Whenever Aaron or any of the high priests after him wore the ephod and entered into the temple of meeting, they bore the names of those who represented whom they represented before the presence of God. These stones were prominent. The names of God's people were prominent on the shoulders and right there over the heart. Jesus does the same for us. Hebrews 9, for the Messiah did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself when he ascended into heaven so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. For us, the very presence of Jesus at the Father's right hand reminds the Father of us. For the Son has so identified, Christ has so identified himself with us that the Father can't help but look at the Son and remember us as well. Indeed, the Son has taken on our very nature. He's human. He's human. He didn't cease to be human after he was raised from the dead. Jesus is unlike the other two members of the Trinity. He's like them in that he is God, one with them, but he is also, he has that human nature. He has so identified with us whenever he is before the presence of the Father, the Father remembers us. So it's representing us before God, but then number four, it's also Jesus praying to God the Father for us. What is this intercession? It's Jesus representing us, but it's also praying to God the Father for us. And I'll just warn you up front in case you're a little nervous. This is the point where we're going to spend a little bit more time than the other points. It is Jesus, this praying, uh, this intercessory ministry is Jesus often talking to the Father about us, making the case for us, reminding the Father about us, prevailing upon the Father for us. So what are, the thing, what are some of the things that Jesus might pray for us? What are some of the things that he says about us when he is talking to the Father? 
Perhaps we can get some idea from looking at his prayers that are recorded in Scripture. His longest recorded prayer is the whole chapter of John chapter 17. And interestingly, many refer to that prayer as his high priestly prayer. Some of what he prayed then for his followers is suggestive of what he might be praying for you and me right now. So I'm just going to lift some verses out of there and maybe uh, speculate, use a little holy imagination as to what Christ is praying for us. So, for instance, verse 6, I have revealed, Jesus prays, I have revealed your name to the men you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Jesus reminds the Father that the Father originally gave us, that is, those who believe, gave believers to Jesus. They come from the Father. So, um, he tells the Father, and he tells the Father also that we strive to keep his word. Father, I use Sheila as an example. Sheila is a believer. Remember that you gave her to me. Well, I know you remember that because you know all things, Father. But I'm just reminding you that you gave her to me. And I want to remind you, too, I want to point out that she is striving to keep my word. Let's look at another verse here, verse 8. The words that you gave me, I have given them. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. So he tells the Father that we believe that Jesus, that he is sent from God. We don't believe that Jesus is just another man. We don't believe that he is a self-appointed Messiah or a self-appointed Savior. Rather, we believe the words Jesus himself says about himself, that he is the Son of God and that he is the only way to God. And Jesus reminds the Father that we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Father, John believes the truth about me. He's not duped by the world's false opinions about me. Verse 11, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you gave me. He prays for our protection, prays for our protection in the world. Some more verses. The world hated them because they are not of the world, as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Here he warns the Father that because we, we are in the world, but not are of the world, and that because we are associated with Christ, that the world will oftentimes hate us. The world oftentimes um, hates us because of our association with Christ. And he also clarifies something he's not praying for, for us. He's not praying that we be taken out of the world. Don't remove them from the world when they finally believe on me. Leave them there to be my witnesses, to be salt and light. But because they will now be hated by the world and a target of the enemy, I do ask, Father, that you would protect them from the evil one. In verse 17, he prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So he prays for our sanctification, that we will become increasingly godly, that we will become increasingly Christ-like, that we will become increasingly good on the inside and the out, and especially so as we interact with the scriptures, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So compel them to study the scriptures and may they be made godly as a result. Another verse 21, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so the world may believe you sent me. He prays for our oneness that we would be united with one another and with him and the Father in holy love. Father, I desire those you have given me to be with me where I am 
Then they will see my glory, which you have given me because you have loved me before the world's foundation. That's pretty clear. Jesus makes it known that, uh, you know, I don't want you to take them out of the world yet. But when you do, ultimately, I do want them to be with me and to see to see my glory. And it's a glory that the Bible teaches we will not only see, but that we will also share. And just as a side note, you know, we're looking at verses that reveal the heart of Jesus. This is another verse that reveals the heart of Jesus. I desire them to be with me where I am. The Savior wants you with him. He wants you to be with him where he is for eternity. Now let's look at another passage. Go here to Luke chapter 22. It's on the last night when Jesus was betrayed. And he says to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you deny three times that you know me. So Jesus prays for the ultimate endurance of Peter's faith. And he prays this knowing that Peter is shortly to deny him three times. But since Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever, can we extrapolate from this that perhaps Jesus is also praying for your faith, that it will endure Thomas Watson uh, writes, the saints persevere in believing because Christ perseveres in praying. And then a, then a final verse here, First uh, John 2, 1, my little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. What a wonderful verse that is. If you sin, if you sin as a believer, you have an advocate with the father. And that advocate is none other than his son, Jesus Christ. When you sin, the son speaks up on your behalf, not because you're innocent, you aren't, you've sinned, but because your sin has been paid for, and Jesus still has the wounds to prove it. As a child of God, Jesus is not put off by your sins. That is to say, as a Christian, when you sin, he's not all of a sudden like, I didn't expect that. He's not like rocking back in his heels. I didn't. I didn't think Cheryl would sin again. (laughs) Sorry, Cheryl. (laughs) It's not like, you know, I need to sit down a minute. What's going on here? Or or am I misreading this verse? Does this verse indicate that? Doesn't it indicate the opposite? What does it mean if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father? It looks to me like he immediately is interceding on our behalf. Now, this verse could sound like it's an encouragement to sin. Hey, why not sin? I mean, Christ is right right there. He's interceding as soon as I sin. But look at the beginning of the verse. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if you do, we have an advocate with the Father. So that verse was inspired. That verse right there was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God himself. And right there it says, we are called not to sin. But if. And when you do sin, don't despair. Even if the sin you just committed is your 500th personal commission of that particular sin, don't despair. We have an advocate with the Father. Take that sin to Christ and talk to him about it. He is advocating for you. Intercession is Jesus praying to God the Father for us, talking to the Father about us. And we just looked at several passages that suggest different ways that Christ might be talking to the Father about us. 
Number five, intercession is made to a father who is already won over to us. It is made to a father who is already won over to us. In all of this talk about intercession, it's easy to think that Jesus is way more on our side than what God the Father is. Like he has to intercede for us because God is not happy with us. Uh, he's really upset, you know. He's really upset that we, we, we sinned, that, that we messed up again. Uh, how many times does he have to forgive us for, you know. Um, but that's, that's not the case. Um, the father is not even ambivalent about us as his child. The Bible is clear that he loves us. I'll just share John three sixteen. for God. So what loved the world that he gave his only son Romans five, eight, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. How does he demonstrate his love? Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? We have the absolute best scenario. Both our intercessor and our God are definitely, unambiguously, and unequivocally on our side. And then intercession number six. What more? All the more helpful because our high priest is sympathetic. All the more helpful because this intercession is all the more helpful because our high priest is sympathetic. Hebrews two seventeen to eighteen. For this reason, we had, he had to Christ had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This passage suggests that Jesus intercedes for us out of experiential knowledge of the things that we are going through. Father, I I know what he's going through. This is what he needs right now. Or, Father, that trial that she's enduring right now, I went through something like that. Here's Here's how we can help. Just by way of illustration, think of a think of a young woman who becomes an OBGYN. And she's a good one. She's a good OBGYN. People like going to her. And she even writes textbooks on, on childbirth. And then she herself, a little bit later, she herself is pregnant and gives birth to a child. And now, as a result, she's an even better OBGYN because she can sympathize with her patients. She can sympathize with those um, pregnant going through labor and delivery and so forth. Because Jesus suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This makes sense of a verse in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, where it says that Jesus, uh, for God, through whom, for whom and through whom everything exists, um, it was fitting that him that he should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. How did Christ need to be made perfect? He was made perfect through suffering that he could sympathize with us, that he could sympathize with our sufferings and offer even more real help to us when we struggle. And then number seven, this intercession is evidence of Jesus's tremendous heart of love for you. If you haven't seen it already, we'll just make it very specific. It's evidence of Jesus's tremendous heart 
of love for you. Hope you got all that because I'm switching the screen. Romans 8, 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Notice the questions. Notice the two questions in these verses. Who shall bring any charge against you? Who is there to condemn you? And the answers are, it's not God, because he's the one who is justifying you. The very opposite of condemning you. And the other, the other question, and the other answer is, it's not Jesus Christ. Well, how do we know it's not Jesus? Well, one, he died for you. And what's more, he's alive again, evidence that his payment for your sins was sufficient. But to top it all off, he's at the Father's right hand right now. And what's he doing? He's interceding for you. He's talking to the Father about you. Now, that's a Savior. That's a man that's clearly on your side. He not only went to the cross for you, now he continues to go to bat for you. He continues to go to the Father for you. Even though Christ is done dying, he is not done loving. His love for you back then when he died for you has not diminished in the least because he's constantly talking to God about you. Remember, I don't know if you remember from the book of Job, in the first couple chapters, how God, when he, with, the, with his heavenly counsel, he loved to point out Job. Have you seen my servant Job? Have you seen my servant Job? And I get the picture that that's what Christ is doing at the right hand of God. Have you seen my servant Don? Have you seen my servant Don? Have you seen my servant Andy? Chelsea and Cindy. He's pointing, pointing us out to the Father. It's not like Christ is punching a time clock as our high priest. It's a heart full of love. That is the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of Jesus. So as we wrap up, I want to, I want to talk about, give you four responses to this reality that Jesus is interceding. Since this is true about, about Christ, then, then what? Back to our primary verse, chapter 7, verse 25, Hebrews. Therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Who is it that Jesus is always able to save to the uttermost, since he always lives to intercede for them? It's those who come to God through Christ. There are at least two groups of people, however, who don't benefit from the salvation that Christ brings and from the intercession that he offers. His ministry doesn't benefit those who don't come to God. You have to come to God in order to benefit from this tremendous ministry of the Lord Jesus. And it's also clear that um, the other group that this doesn't benefit is those who attempt to come to God, but through a different means than Jesus Christ. You have to come to God through Christ in order to experience this salvation that is only found in Christ and to experience his intercessory ministry. So, number one, make sure you are coming to God through Jesus Christ. And then number two, be comforted in the knowledge that Jesus Christ is clearly and unambiguously for you. Who is to condemn you? It's not Jesus. 
Jesus Christ is the one who died for you more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for you. The end of the book of Romans 8 is there to convince you that God is for you, that Christ is for you. But you have to receive that gift of salvation. You have to put your faith in him. You have to come to God through Jesus Christ. And then number three, excuse me, when you sin, take it to Jesus. When you sin, take it to Jesus. First John 1 9 is a wonderful verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then two verses later is first John 2 1, which we already looked at. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. As uh, Ortland writes in the book that many of you are reading, do not minimize your sin or excuse it away. Raise no defense. Simply take it to the one who is already at the right hand of the Father, advocating for you on the basis of his own wounds. Let your own unrighteousness drive you to Jesus Christ in all his brightness and sufficiency. And then finally, if Jesus talks so much about you, how can you not talk much about him? If Jesus talks so much about you, how can you not talk much about him? I just want to close, well, not quite, almost close with the words of Thomas Watson. He says, if Christ appears for us in heaven, then we must appear for him on earth. Christ is not ashamed to carry our names on his breast. And shall we be ashamed of his truth? Does he plead our cause and shall we not stand up for his cause? Does he present our names in heaven? And shall we not profess his name on earth? So, this is the heart of Jesus. He cares, he understands, he persists, and he intercedes. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for our Savior. We praise you for our great intercessor that we have in Jesus Christ. We praise you because we have <laughs> the Savior you gave us is the ideal one, the one who loves, loves us so much that he can't stop talking about us. We thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice that he offered as our high priest. We thank you for the prayers that he offers as our high priest. Um, we are grateful for the things that he prays for us, and may we thrive under his ministry. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.